0: what's happening welcome back folks my name is eric wright i'm the host of the disco posse podcast hey long time no here see if you're coming back thank you and thank you to all the folks who've been continuing to download our episodes even though we've been on a little bit of a hiatus i've been busy building a company with an amazing team of people speaking of amazing people you're about to be introduced to one this is a conversation with Jerry New. Uh, Jerry is part of the Tech Flare team. That's T E C F L A I R. They do some really fantastic stuff around intelligent cloud optimization. What's more important about how Jerry and I discuss things is this is about human optimization, automation. How do we approach building optimization and automation tools? What are the risks? As a technologist or as a business leader, this is a must listen for sure. Jerry's fantastic. I love the approach that he and the team take uh, and it'll, it'll come out in the conversation, which is definitely was a lot of fun. We're going to have more. In fact, I think we actually had a podcast worthy chat after the podcast, which tells you that you're talking to some amazing people so go check it out of course follow the links below and and support the fine folks at tech flare and 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 connect with jerry uh he's well worth a listen so really really cool stuff oh by the way speaking of people that are fantastic holy moly, can I say thank you to the amazing people at Veeam who support this podcast and all the amazing stuff that that I do uh, around reaching out to folks through this medium and through my blog at discoposse.com. So if you're keen to check out anything you need for your data protection needs, then it ultimately has to lead you to the mighty veeam go to vee.am forward slash disco Hundred percent worth a look and that is because they're 100 awesome a really big fan of both the team uh, the product you know ultimately and the approach that wasn't a both that was three things for somebody who writes the list for a living you think i would know that so the three things that i love about veeam are the team the product the approach okay i'm not gonna come up with the fourth thing that would be silly hey Go to Veeam, vee.am forward slash disco posse. Seriously, type it while you're listening to this. Say hi. Oh, but by the way, hang tight because you're in for a great conversation. So thank you, Veeam. Thank you, Techflare. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you, listener. And let's jump right in. This is Jerry New from Techflare on the disco posse podcast.
1: All right. I'm Jerry New here with Eric, and I am with Techflare, and we try to help people optimize uh, their cloud. Uh, In particular, AWS Cloud Savings. And you're listening to the Disco Posse Podcast.
0: Thing of beauty like a pro you know how to do this so all right jerry thank you wow this is like it's one of those funny things where our industry is interesting that we tend to have like hey i'm talking to a friend and they got this weird problem like i think i know somebody that'd be interesting to chat with on this and especially because we have such a uh like sort of broad set of online interactions with people with with podcasts and, and with public speaking uh, and events now that events are kind of like in full motion again it feels like we're now finally able to reconnect with I'll say random people like or you're able to make new introductions that for a while we didn't do so number one feels good and number two holy heck am I ever happy as anything that we met because we got a chance to chat and we kind of I think we didn't even bother like introducing. We just like immediately launched into about like an hour conversation where I was like, "Oh, by the way, this is what I do." Like, we just kind of we knew where we needed to go about some of the stuff we wanted to talk about. So that's why I was excited about. Uh yeah, about the what's feeling
1: coming. is absolutely mutual, and you're right. We just got at half an hour or more into the conversation where said, "And by the way, what do you do?" Yes, yeah, so exactly.
0: <laughs> like, how did, And it was it was, I've, it was one of those things where all of a sudden when you look back. Uh, I mean, I think in my career and my life, too, I'm like, how many people I know? I'm like, well, like a like a random audience meet at an event and you find yourself like on a road trip with somebody, you know, four years later, and you're like, oh, wow, we were like very randomly discovered each other. So it is <laughs> it is a funny world that we're all in uh, like adjacent spaces. And when we go through our like first and second connections to that's what's even funnier is realizing how in that like network world we are that we are so connected to other folks in the space and uh, and it's fun. I mean and looking at when I get a chance to s- take a look at what you and and your folks are doing with TechFlare like it was a no brainer that like I know I know the space you're in and I love the approach that you take to it. So let me let you get a chance to introduce folks what is TechFlare and kind of how did that how did the team get started? And uh, we'll kind of go into method. I think this is the most important thing for me is the methodology over outcome. If you get an outcome, obviously that's needed. But the way you approach the problem was particularly interesting to me. So let's, uh, but let's start with the core. Well, I, tell I think me, philosophically... Tell me exactly
1: I think philosophically we're very aligned, which is why we got it into half an hour before you said, what do you do? (laughs) And I I think what we do is we try to simplify what is actually quite a complex world of the cloud and to make it manageable. And there are lots of solutions out there which are trying the same to make things more manageable. And we in particular are focused on automated solutions to make things manual. And part of that is because we, think people are trying their best to do a lot of great things and they are, and there's people way smarter than than us in doing many of those things. But a lot of the things we do are still a little bit the way they've always been done. And a little bit, if I, not to sort of do anything down, but a little bit old school because we do it manually. Right. And actually we think that sometimes manual is the best method because that's the only method that still applies. And sometimes you really need your eye on it no matter what, but other times, automated solutions are gonna be 10 times more efficient and 10 times better. And so why would we do them manually? And so what we try to do is, you know, fix those problems, which which frustrated us, you know, we we came from a place where we were frustrated by the same problem, right? We We were looking at, you know, managing our cloud and saying, whoa, this is way too hard. There must be easier solutions, and so we looked in the market. We built some of our own things, and we said, "Oh, wow, this is way easier." And so what we're trying to do is evangelize a little bit, uh, maybe too much to say evangelize, but but actually sort of think through a, a, the next gen way of doing things, which we think is automated solutions where it makes sense.
0: Now this is the where we really latch on to a common thread in approach, Jerry, because I looked at. Like Automation was always my focus, but automation of very specific things that were, I'll say, sort of bothersome. And I say bothersome in a way of it's either about it's really wasted, repetitive work that can be automated with relative ease. Number two is stuff that has the opportunity for error. Or like, and as somebody Mm -hmm. who, you know, I'll say, I I call it robust fingering because fat fingering seems kind of like a, a nasty way to describe it. But ultimately- I'm going to make a mistake in typing something repeatedly. The hilarious thing is, I developed a keen eye for automation because I would have to build all these like run books and playbooks, like checklists, like physical checklists for like server builds and stuff like that. And immediately upon printing the document, it was out of date. And we had yep. this real problem that. That ended up with like, you'd have that server build doc that would have a bunch of handwritten notes and stuff scratched out. And then there was a different location. And then even worse, I would write the document using my like anecdotal flow. And then when I would go to build the next server, I would not use the build document because I built the build document. So I know better because I'm a stupid human, I believe that I can somehow overpower my own inadequacies to be consistent and have a consistent outcome. And then that's what kind of led me to like, oh, right, if you miss one step in the middle, things can go sideways. So how do I make sure that the output is consistent? And that drew me to the true thing of automation, which is not about speed. It was about consistency of outcome for me. So, I'm curious, like, what was your first foray into where, like, hey, I'm doing something manually? This doesn't need to be this way. But, okay. So,
1: philosophically, we're exactly on the same page. It's, it's not just about saving money. That's, by the way, that's a great starter. Right. Yeah, over the door. It's a nice bonus. <laughs> but, but, but it's exactly where you went to. It's got to be risk reduction and it's got to be sustainable. Right. Because you're right. I mean, humans are genius. Right? I'm gonna give you the, the credit, Eric, you're, you're genius, but you're also human. And so in that, if you're the one who has to push the button all day long, there's a point in time where you're gonna miss the button or you're gonna push it at the wrong time and to, you're gonna miss something. Whereas the machine is much less likely, the automated tool is much less likely to make that error as long as it's pro, programmed correctly and, doing, and, and tested and proven. Um, and to work, I think, you know we've talked about this before. Um, before, which is we are very careful with the automated tools that that we that we use and, and that we select, they 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 need to be tried and tested. They need to they need to be robust. They need to have passed all the security features that that we hope, and they need to, need to have a track record of delivering. Right. And 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 then we ent- we we entertain those. And but there are there are things in the market, um, not just our own, but other things in the market which 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 do that. And so you know, it is born out of you know managing this big expense of AWS, we might say, right? Because AWS is our sort of specialty and where we're born from. Um, but the same thing exists in, in all the clouds, in, in fact, but, but our experience is AWS. And it is not just managing the cost, but the time that's required to do, to do the things that means. Managing, you, you know, as an example, you know, discounts, it, it takes time. Yeah. Managing your storage, it takes time. Um, I mean, depending on how big you are, it could be as much as a part-time job, if not a full-time job for some. And the reality is, is uh, it's also not a terribly exciting work, some of that. It's kind of gr- grunt-level work, which nobody loves. Yeah. And so why not hand that over to a tool, which is going to do it 10 times better and promote you to a, a higher level because now you have the tool gives you also intelligence. It gives you summarized information from which you can make a new uh, decision level. From. And so really it's 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 all about actually promoting uh the growth brunt work into something much more interesting.
0: Ooh. Oh Jerry, I think you just hit the I I don't want to stop you mid-thread, but like I think you just hit the most important thing. We're not automating necessarily the action. What we're actually automating is the decision. And there's kind of two pieces. There's this is a, a, a split. Now I'm a firm believer in moving left, like moving closer to the source of like, I love decision automation. I love action automation, but for me, the focus is more on can I develop a pattern of use that will ultimately allow me to automate the decision-making, which I believe is way more important than the functional, like tactical automation. There is tactical automation, which is great, safe steps. But I believe that the truth of real cloud automation, anything is decision automation, much more so than mechanical automation.
1: Yeah. And uh, by that, that's a great uh, debating point because I, we, I think there's probably a place for both. It depends. I think there are certain things that you do, you do not want to hand over to the machine. Right. You want a human to be able to push, well, they, you can trust up all the way to the point of the, 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 the final piece. The analytics are perfect. You might want an eye on that. For a human to actually push that button that actually executes. There are other tools that we love that execute because the things that they're executing are not things that are really require an, an additional decision to be made. They're they're just part of the automation tool. And actually that that execution piece is something which saves you a lot of risk and time, right? But but right. not every tool. And, and so you're, I think you're, it's a good distinction there between tools that you trust to execute and tools that you trust to give you information on which you then execute. But but both of those tools, they give you information. And so what they do, no matter what, is they give you information, which is your new base from where you now make decisions. right? So even if they execute certain things for you, what they do is they give you more information from which you can execute other things for. And so it's yeah, still a promotion. It, but, but I think it's important to say that because I think some people feel like automation is, well, is it going to make me redundant? Is, it, is it going to be, is it a job security issue? Is it, um, I mean, isn't that what we do after all? You know, when you talk about, you know, thin ops and thin ops foundation roles, those roles still massively exist. Right. Um, but now they're just upskilled.
0: Yeah, that this is the the sort of misguided belief that automation eliminates jobs, there are absolutely things that will be, there are functions that will be eliminated that may be enough of a composition of a job that it requires you to refactor the job to account for the fact that there's less time needing to be spent on an action, on a tactical execution of something. And even potentially up to the point of decision automation, where we can probably get Less human interaction, let's just say. So, but it's not, I believe it's up-leveling and upscaling that person's opportunity. And I also don't believe that it's going to be from like zero to a hundred. This is also one of the biggest myths I find people say like when we implement automation, it means you're going to go like, Oh, so I'm going to automate my whole cloud. So I'm useless. So you're like, it's going to take you like three years to automate your entire operations. One checkbox at a time, you're going to turn on little things. Yeah. And while you're doing that, you still have to build new applications, do stuff that's really artisanal that actually requires a human decision or a human activity. To make a business decision, that's going to line up with a technical, you know, pairing. It's a. Uh, I'm really wracked by this idea that people yeah. still fear automation, and yet, no, I don't know anybody who's been automated out of a job yet.
1: <laughs> no, we are, I think, many years away before automation truly takes over the the full scope of cloud management. And in fact, I'm not even sure it's possible. Right. No if anything, many...
0: I think you're actually automating into a better opportunity. Like I, I look for that. Granted, there are some people that may just not necessarily today have the skill set to go outside of where they are. But we, as like employers, builders, you know, peers in the industry, I think are always finding other things that still require the human touch and ultimately are going to always create an opportunity for those folks to participate. And uh, Yeah. So I'm, I'm long automation and I'm also long humans. (laughs) I think we're going to, we're going to coexist for a long time.
1: Yeah. And I think automation just upskills us. And I think we should use it as a friend rather than as a competitor uh, for sure. For me, you know, um, it's also strategic automation, right? And I think, you know, for example, in the cloud optimization space, uh, we kind of have an 80, 20 philosophy, Right, so you know wh- where is eighty percent of your spend? Where where is that? So let's let's look at what that is, and let's look at the automation that's relative to that uh, um, spend. You know, for example, com- compute is is largely the the biggest spend um, for for anybody. Yeah, right? that's pretty consistent across the board, and it it seems to make sense to me that you want to automate some things in that space because whether it's discount management or other, other tools or right sizing or uh, spinning up instances, they're, they're, that takes the most time and cost in, in that space. And there are automated tools, plural, which can help you with that. Uh, it doesn't replace you, it just helps you manage that much more efficiently. Um, but in the 80-20 rule that we apply, we'd say, listen, your easy wins are in that space and also in that space and in that space. And here's your five spaces of your easy wins. And so in these five automated tool applications, you will hit 80% of what you can do in the automated space for cost savings, for example, right? And the other 20%, one we might not have um, automated tools for, Um, and yes, you could save them, but you need to be careful as you even approach that last 20%, because you could end up spending more time and money chasing that 20% than that 20% is worth. Right? Right. And at some point, that becomes almost a distraction of efficiency. And actually, what you need to do is consider where strategically it makes sense.
0: So when it comes to this, this area is interesting to me that I find that technologists lack financial literacy around like the cost to the business sometimes. And I think that's sort of the gap of we get caught that like we, we as technologists are meant to understand the bits, looking at your background, you've got an incredibly storied background in finance and understanding that side of it, then coming to technology. So you've got a different sort of, angle at which you your lens, I believe is coming from a different angle. but it's funny that we you and I effectively have sort of met in this middle area where we're both doing a thing. but interestingly, my like positive outcome may be slightly different than yours in like what I'm excited by. you know I'm excited by the the bits and making a thing show up that didn't appear before. And then I think much less about the cost of doing that. I think much more about the we did a thing and as a business velocity thing, I've solved it with a technology solution. And then you are using technology solutions to achieve velocity, but always keen eye on like, what's the actual material impact of the actions we're taking?
1: You're right. My, my background is, is finance. And so I'm probably always to be slightly biased by that. And as hard as I try, and I am trying, to be the champion of the engineer and the champion of the CTO and his objectives, uh, there's a part of me which is always going to be, what would the CFO say? Right.
0: (laughs) Right. And this is the uh, battle of cloud optimization is where does it belong? And we quite often, I think if we look at FinOps as a foundation and where FinOps participation comes in with a lot of the technology companies, it's a really odd spot because the business organizations are sending people from finance and from systems architecture and all the vendors are like, they don't have financial representation, which is funny. Like I think at my last firm, our CFO was acutely aware of how much we were affecting our own operations by what we did with our own automation solution. And so it was neat that we could bring our CFO onto a customer call and could have a real literacy of the real material effect of automation, and explain it in a way that had an effect to the CFO. But it's funny, as a technologist, me going to a you know uh, a bank or a, a healthcare company or you know whatever it is, they I will come at it as a technologist, and then when I get in front of the CFO, if I don't have the literacy to speak in language that they care about. It's very hard. So I may come with the most exciting, sexy solution that can solve it. I can save you a bunch of stuff. I'll move this from EC2 to Lambda, and I'll do this, and I'll move to EKS instead of this, and I can cut your cost by a bunch, and I may come up with what looks like a moderately good plan, and that CFO is going to say, we can actually just depreciate differently in this area, and we can completely wipe out the savings you've done, and it's not even – like you're fighting for nominal differences – because to the accountants, they will look at finances differently than me as a technologist, which is like, that was eight bucks an hour before, now it's seven twenty an hour. Yes. I think I saved a bunch of money. <laughs> yeah, I think the starting
1: point has to be, everybody needs to agree, the most important thing is that we have a product and the lights are on, right? Because from a business point of view, if you don't have that, you don't have anything. And so you can't, the, and the engineering team has complete control on that. You know, they 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 dictate and I think dictates the right thing, you know, what is required to keep the lights on, to keep this product moving forward, to have a, a development plan, which is actually going to work. And then and I know different approaches on this. And then after you have that, you have a business and then you can talk about efficiency. You can't even talk about efficiencies until you have a product and a, and a business plan to, to talk about. Right, uh, and the efficiencies. I think this is where you know the engineering team and the CTO are actually very aligned. We all live in the real world. We all know that you have there's a limited amount of money and resource to sort of make things happen. And so the the answer isn't about you know slashing budgets. The answer about how to make that money go farther, how to enable that money to make us grow better um, in in a smart way. Right? Nobody wants to um, architect something in a way which isn't built for the, forever. Right? We can't make those decisions which are gonna last us just six months. They need to last us for the next 10 years. And so, you know, making um, you know sh- shortcuts, which are today's savings, but tomorrow's problem aren't, aren't great answers. So it's, it's all it's the automated tools we, we focus on. We focus on those tools, which are sustainable, which are built for the future, which don't step on the toes of, um, of engineer team and CTO objectives. But, but support them and sustain them and, give, and hopefully create an easier roadmap because actually what it's do is, is take all that time, they're doing all this menial work, back into engineering, back into keeping lights on development.
0: This brings up the interesting thing of a, the philosophical definition, right? If we come at it sort of like a, from, a, from a, a point of neutrality, how would you define an optimal cloud application?
1: An optimal cloud application. Well, we can talk about that for a long time. Um an optimal cloud application, I'm not sure what that, that definition is, but let's let's talk about some characteristics that would fall in it, right? An optimal cloud application is one that saves you time. Right. So the if if, if it costs too much time to run, then there must be a better way to do it. Right? There, there so there's gonna be a, somebody else who's doing it better. Then, then we're doing it. Uh I'm not sure I'd start with cost straight away but t- but time is is a big one. Um I'd also s- say you know what, what kind of risk are we carrying here? There are, there's a lot of tools out there but if if they're cutting things so tight that you that you know a, a, a spike is going to throw it off that's not that's that's not okay. It's got to be able to manage it's got to make decisions which allow for spikes. You got you got to have a, a risk a risk uh consideration there a- a- otherwise you're just asking for trouble and-, and and then you know not to ignore it the cost is is important right um if if your tool isn't cost conscious then what is it doing right I mean it just isn't holistic there so it has to consider the cost of, of what it's applying the-, the cost of the tool itself right um you know yeah. you, <laughs> ha- yeah, if the cost of your, like, your-
0: if- If the cost for your optimization optimization costs more than the operation, then you gotta wonder, you know, are you actually getting the full value? Right. (laughs) You definitely
1: have a problem at that place. Yeah, and so you you know, um, but but that's also important. The tools that
0: that we choose, if the ROI isn't a ten times, we're, we're we're hardly interested. Well, and this becomes an interesting thing of both uh, like raw, like the just the value numbers and the effort being put towards it, it does make sense. But even as a raw human behavioral thing, right? We as technologists have an incredibly high pain tolerance. We will do dumb things repetitively, manually. Like we we spend we have a we're we're strangely proud of things that we build by like very artisanally. Like we are creators, technologists are creators. We call them builders, right? And they should be proud of their work. So when you come along and, you know, or we as an industry come along and say, hey, you could do that a better way. There's always that little twinge of like, whoa, 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 what do you mean? It could be done a better way. That implies that I I didn't do it right. And we have this sort of natural human resistance to thing, which then if we sort of look to, like heuristics of of behavior around cost and the ROI, right? It's very easy to tell somebody that what you're doing is risky and they will be like, whoa. But if you say like, hey, if you did this differently, you could probably save 12% over the course of the year. They're going to go, hmm, it's, it's nifty. But I'm like, is the effort worth it? Because we look at that, like that, I think, you know, out of Kahneman and Tversky's research, the idea that you had to be like greatly, I think it was like 180% of the gain in order to be equal to a 10% loss. Like loss aversion is a much greater driver. So risk is actually the better way to describe your cost or your security posture or whatever, versus. We make you faster. We make you safer. We make you better. It's more like we rid, we get the bad guys out of your environment. We cut unnecessary waste and spend. And you're like, Ooh, you know, I'm, you not know gonna, I'm not going to save you money. I'm going to get rid of waste. And you're like, all right, let's do it. <laughs> yeah. You know, what you just said there is, is
1: actually spot on. You know, we're, We talked to a lot of companies are going through growth. So, well, what, when, when is the right time to, to look at this kind of application? And the answer is, well, right now, even though you're a little bit small for the application in some ways, first of all, it's going to save you money right now anyway. Not, a, not as much as you, you know you were thinking because you're small, but still quite a lot. Two, it's going to save your time. But most importantly, three, it's going to de-risk you. Because as you grow, your risks are going to grow exponentially. And so what you've done what you've done with these automated tools if you've taken all of that off the table because they're they're built for growth. So when you when, if your revenues double for next year, you don't need to worry about whether or not you're optimized in your discount management because you're all set up. You don't need to hire a part-time person or a consultant to come in and look at that every six months and say, How are we doing? You're set. Right. Um, and and you get that all because it's just part of the tool. So actually the answer for that particular client was do it now. Let's do it now. I mean um yeah. it's it's not it's not going to make a big difference for you straight away, but tomorrow you're going to be so glad you did.
0: Yeah, what and this is I like that. I like that I that approach because then it tells you that look, you're going to go through the pain eventually of integrating this process, but if we were to build this process now, you're effectively optimizing from the get-go. And then that means that you're building with optimization as a, as an automatic factor. And I, I think that when we move ROI into the architecture phase, that really changes the way that we approach design and operations. And I think once people make that cut, where they start to automate enough things, at that point, it becomes like automation or GTFO, right? Like if it isn't automated... Yeah then I'm not going to allow the application to hit the production network. And which is funny that like two years earlier, it's like, whoa, whoa, I'm not going to let your crazy automation near my production network. And then at one point we're like, whoa, 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 I'm not going to let your manual deployment go near my production network. If it's not automated, it's not going, it has to be in the pipeline. It has to be in the monitoring toolkit. It has to be in the cloud optimization toolkit. Like we now are so confident that we've built the solution set as a framework that. Now it becomes a, a requirement, and the team acts differently. I think as a result of that. But there's that. That's a tough period to bring people through because usually there's a lot of, you know, as we say, calling someone's baby ugly. Like I know you built your application; and it's really nifty. But wow, you're running like a massive EC2 instance for really no reason. <laughs> but that goes into the,
1: the other umbrella again: the strategic uh, automation, right? Depending on where you are in your development. The um, certain automation might make sense at any stage because it's easy to implement. Why wouldn't you? There's no downside and you are protected no matter where you are. Other automation actually requires a bit of investment. And the question is, sometimes that's a luxury that nobody has. So right. that automation, while you might want it today, might need to wait until tomorrow because it's a luxury for time and cost that you just don't have right and i yeah. think that's what a lot of engineering world is is like there's a lot of wish lists that we we create but actually you can't have them all now some of them they just appropriate at different stages and after different things are proven you know you can't invest everything until you actually have some revenues and something to show for yourself
0: yeah this is <laughs> this is so funny it's like the classic product manager problem people like every every founder that i've talked to they tell me the same story. It's like you could ask them, like, when did you release your first product? And they all say, too late. And Always. it's hilarious. It's like, And even like fourth time founder, when did you release the product? Too late. <laughs> and because we get sort of caught in like a paralysis of like feature width and Uh, and you know, are we, are we ready to take, but in fact, we should sort of embrace experimentation early. And I think that if we look at the operations, especially cloud operations side to be successful with automation, you need to have that same thing, a culture of experimentation where you're willing to like, I don't know if this is going to work, but I'm going to give it a whirl and see how it goes. And then. It eventually become, will become table stakes. But for right now, we have to be willing to like kind of always try,
1: yeah, you know I know in the startup where we have this MVP concept in terms of when you release something, and that's a very debatable thing. I think there are certain solutions they need time to bake. right the risk inherent in them is just too much. You can't release your 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 first MVP into the yeah. market because it's just it's just not okay. But there are other times when actually it, it is okay. And so you know every company is going to have their own sort of um, risk appetite and you know appropriateness for, for that feel. but um, I, I think you you also mentioned something there you know paralysis. We see this a little bit you know in this um, FinOps space, if we can call it uh, FinOps in, to some degree, there there is um, some degree of potential analysis paralysis by analysis. Um, and I, what, I, what I say is everybody wants to understand everything they have before they consider what to automate. Right. And um, and there's some sense of understanding to some degree what you have. <laughs> you need to. But hopefully you, you you do already. Right. And the and the answer is, is um, well, I'm not going to do that until until I understand this better. OK. Or you could automate the things which are obvious. And then use that summary information to help you with your analysis and not be, not experience your paralysis, right? Yeah. It, it, what's interesting is the, the automated tools bring you to a different understanding of what you have and create the efficiency for you at the same time. You just start from a different base. And, and I think some people are really hesitant sometimes to sort of jump in because they think they're jumping in and they're actually not. They're just... They know you, you're in a better place than you think you are often.
0: Yeah, we it, we can wade into the water a long way before we get up to our neck. And unfortunately, we still stand at the side of the beach worrying that there's a drop off somewhere. So we don't step our toes in the water. And it, it becomes this thing that or we only put our toes in the water and we never go much further. It's a I think we're getting more. Uh, like we have no choice, but obviously, like the financial situation of of the world has led us to be, make optimization important earlier. Uh, and we have to still innovate, so we can't stop innovating. And this is where it becomes an interesting thing of like, if I as a company were to choose an optimal approach, and that's why, why I say if we look at pure neutrality, what i should develop is a framework in which i can build something that will map to my specific business that's completely agnostic that has allows me to have complete flexibility effectively i want a vanilla ice cream automation because i want to have complete control complete flexibility and so i in my optimal morally and technically neutral environment i want a perfect framework i want the the loosely coupled system and I want this thing. And then now i send my team to start working on it. And they say, this is great, but I've spent four weeks standing up this vanilla framework. And I still am not quite sure, but it looks like I'm building the tool. So now your team is now building two tools. And so while that is theoretically optimal, because it gives you complete framework control and flexibility forevermore. My belief And one that I know we've talked about, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on, is I believe we actually need strongly opinionated solutions. And it means you have to take a leap of faith with a particular technology partner. But I believe that weighs far heavier into their investment in an outcome via a technological method versus a completely open framework that gives you complete flexibility, but now it's your fault if it doesn't work right, <laughs> I, so opinionated versus completely open framework, what's your thought?
1: Uh, great question. I, I think I probably lean towards opinionated. So I'm probably leaning towards your side of the fence there. It would be, you got, you got to be intentional about what you're doing. Um, and the, the reality is that you, I think when you focus that way, you just create a better solution. Um, yeah, and you know, you you started the the composition of of that in context, which is in the, the current economy. You know, people are dr- driven towards efficiencies and 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 cost savings. And I think you're right. We're going to be in this current economy uh, actually for a little while. And so th- this kind of um, efficiency space or cost saving space or thin out space is is going to be of interest not just today, but also in six months time, and twelve months time, and the next couple of years. Uh, as as a focus, and um, you know, not to sort of um, this is give credit to people who don't deserve it, but you know, one of the things we kind of say is that you know these automated tools will make you look like a rock star, okay. right? Because you'll be able to um, demonstrate an understanding of what the automated tool does that nobody else does, right? And, and you'll be able to to claims if if you're if you're an in house engineer or a finance person or procurement, whoever's looking at this, right? Claims some, some credit, hopefully, for the the savings and the risk reduction which come off the back of it. Right. So you become a new kind of in-house expert, you become a tooling expert. And I and I and I I think you know that speaks to a, a bit bold, that speaks to, to a bit intentional, that speaks to, you know what, this isn't just an off-the-shelf, let's see what what happens kind of thing. It's considered. Right. right?
0: Yeah, and we look at the hardware side of it. We always loved this idea of completely open, open, or they call it COTS, right? Commercial off-the-shelf uh, hardware, commercial off-the-shelf software. We loved the concept of like, hey, I can just run, you know, and open source became this weird thing where people are like, oh, it's open source. Like that doesn't mean it's free. It means that you have access to the source code. There may be a free alternative, but we're seeing open core, open, you know, commercial where people have, there's a, a whole weird world going on around that, especially we look at sort of the the HashiCorp ecosystem and OpenTofu, and and it's how some stuff have played out there. But purely, when I look at it from me as a business owner, what do I choose as a technology partner? What I love about your approach is you come to me with a framework of a delivery. And then you use opinionated tools in which to achieve that. Because I want the people to be framework, not necessarily opinionated. Like we want to go towards a goal, but I believe like the products and the methods can be opinionated and the people should be flexible so that when another solution pops onto the ecosystem, that you, like the tech flare, you know, Jerry says, whoa, hey, does this fit into our? our customer ecosystem. Like, how does it play with others? Is there a good opportunity for us to have interplay? And at some point, you have to make a decision as a as a delivery partner to choose a software product partner that you know has viability in the industry and has proven yeah. results. You're right. Your point is really
1: very important. I didn't comment on this before, but we are very agnostic as the solutions that we use, actually. So even though we have some preferred partners today um with the greatest respect they may not be preferred partners tomorrow right
0: Well, and and it could be it's often acquisition and this is one thing people always say you generally don't necessarily develop a uh, like a separation from a company it's more like a major change could occur and quite often an acquisition gonna really kind of twist things up over the course of time but yeah i i uh well, the, look at- the market
1: is changing. There are smarter automated solutions coming on the market all the time. And some of them are baking right now. And it's, you know, the, the ones that we have right now in, in pole position, because we think they are the best by some margin in, in in six months time or 12 months time, they they might not be right. Right. And and um, the way that people are, that we, we orchestrate things. We, we think is, is brilliant, but we try to orchestrate it in a way where can, we can swap things out so it's flexible. So ultimately, we're delivering the, the orchestrated best solution of all of what the market has to people. But we can only do that if we are agnostic. And, and going back to your earlier point, you know, the, our solutions are needed, right? They, they are intentional in what they are doing. They are, you know, they're they're trying to be the best at what they do. And, um, and, and you know, what? kudos to them for that. Right. Right. That, that, that's that's what they, we think they should be doing. And um, most of them um, with the greatest are doing they do one thing and they do it brilliantly well. Um, but unless you know who they are and how to use their tool, it's it's kind of hard for you to sort of apply that. But what we are able to do is to take take that tool and, and put it into an it in orchestration with other tools and say, actually, use this this and this in combination. You got a magic solution here,
0: right? Yeah, and I think that is the, like I said, why I really adored your approach to the business and to the to the you know the technology problems, which are really you know business problems for your clients, is that, yeah, you have to think like we're aiming to a business outcome. What are the tools that will get us there? And they may be sort of like interchangeable over time, but ultimately like everything we do is in service of this end goal. And we have a particular optimization target, or we have a particular, you know, they may have a technical pairing to that ROI target, but like in the end, you know, that in a year, we're always going to revisit it. There's nothing is like, all right, done. Perfect. You know, Print, you know, this is not like a film where you're going to put it out and unless it is forever imprinted in that format. You're like, things are going to change. Whatever your current, you know, fantastic solution is, it's going to be replaced by a different framework in in a year. (laughs) And some of these
1: automated tools are actually easy to swap in and out. And maybe some of them are a little bit less easy, but they'll probably become easier over time. And you think that's kind of strange. You think, you know, these tools don't want to make themselves easy to swap in and out. Uh, and 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 maybe they they are almost motivated not to, but the reality is the, the best ones that we we recommend they are. You can swap them out. You can turn. You can you can put somebody else in, um, and, and re- literally just a snap of a finger, as as long as it's the right kind of thing. Now not not all, all tools can be done that way, but many many can, and and I think that's kind of you know to, kudos to to these solutions. It's it's because they're confident what they're doing right and in some ways there's they don't spend their time trying to be irreplaceable they they just spend their time trying to be the best which is which is the better way to go
0: <laughs> so if i look back you know let's 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 go in the way back machine you sat somewhere you had some friends and colleagues and you wrote tech flare down on a napkin somewhere and you said i got an idea or we've got we got a plan we want to do this for more more people. How did how did your approach come to be, and 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 how did the organization start?
1: Well, I, I think I um, mentioned earlier it was born out of frustration, right? <laughs> That's so the as, greatest as, reason <laughs> as, as a user trying to find to, to just manage our own cloud was you know challenging, right? And so we so we looked to explore in the market. Well, what are other people doing? What solutions are out there, um, and which ones are, which ones can you trust? Um, and 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 then we realized is that there's a lot of stuff out there. Uh, some early stage, some weren't developed, and um, and actually it, it was incumbent on us to go and to find because nobody else was putting it together for us. And so and so we started to put it together. And again, you know, some are maybe our, our own solutions, but most are not. Most are, are, are actually market solutions that, that we just love. And, um, and, that's, that's, and that's great. So it's actually born out of just a, a, our own use case. And and interestingly, you know, we, we still uh, continue on this, you know, plan. We, we, we ask people, you know, what, what do you like? What works well? What doesn't work well? Right. And, and maybe they'll they'll uh, we'll discover other solutions we haven't discovered yet. And maybe they're early stage, but, you know, we'll give them a little bit of time and they'll they'll become something quite significant.
0: How do you go about evaluating a technology partner? Because we talked about MVP, the two optimal words, you know, in there are M and V, right? Minimum and viable It's also it becomes MVP as a partner. So we think of like what is as you evaluate a new potential technology partner. How do you, how do you put a matrix of like will work, will struggle? Like where, how do you do evaluation criteria on on that kind of a relationship? That
1: is a great question, and that is a changing answer. I think historically we've been really really hard on choosing partners. Right? Didn't have a track record. If you didn't have your your SOC2 cert, if you didn't have ev- everything you know tested and proven already in the in the marketplace, we we didn't want to talk to you, and we couldn't in reality, right? Um, and, and now we're we're thinking, okay, this is great what we have, but we want to add this 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 and this, and the reality is is the market isn't there yet, and so we're talking to some younger players. And, and, and the answer there is, where are they in their development? And sometimes they're just too early. And, you know, the thing is, we're in the real world. And so we can't put a solution out there for, for a client as a, our clients aren't guinea pigs. Right. <laughs> right. So, so that, that that's quite hard. But, but guess what? Somebody's client needs to be a guinea pig. Otherwise, it doesn't work. And so maybe some of our clients are willing to be guinea pigs, for example, in this little dev area or this little test area, maybe not in production. Yeah. Right. And, and to see, see how it goes. And, uh, and then from there, sort of see how robust the solution is because some of them don't have all the bells and whistles and testing that we and experience that we would love because that's just where the market is.
0: The framework approach for partner development, as well as product adoption, I think is really where where I've always leaned. But again, I understand along the way, like I'd love this perfect sort of agnostic, loosely coupled set of systems. Uh, You know, ideally we like to build a lot of stuff ourselves, but then we also recognize the risk of doing that. And that's an interesting problem too. Sort of back to the core of this, conversation mm. risk reduction we're in IT and in business we are in the risk reduction business i mean as humans we're likely in the risk reduction business you know don't yeah. get attacked by lions don't get hit by a car there are certain things that we are naturally built to react to so bad stuff doesn't happen i have not yet been i've been hit by a lot of cars haven't been attacked by any lions so i i kind of know where my where i need to focus on my optimization of my life safety so when we get a risk mitigation in a, an organization, artisanally locally developed tools are potentially a risk because you have to depend that your local team is going to be around long enough to support this, that the adjacent peers in the team understands the code level. We'd love to think that we're all smart technologists, but I don't know. I know Ruby, but not Python. And I, so if you hand me a piece of Python code, it's going to take me four hours to figure out what it does. So it's a very different risk if I were to suddenly adopt a product or build a product, which is now super niche, right? But conversely, there's sometimes like the only solution is just like, we've looked at all the generics, we've looked at all the vanilla And I I need a, I need chocolate chip right here. (laughs) That is one thing is like, this is very unique. Let's just use this very specific tool and build around it.
1: I don't know the full answer on that. My suspicion is there will always be a place for some in-house development of automation tools, but you are right to highlight the risk in in doing that. And not just the risk, also the, the cost. I mean, the time and money cost of building your own something, you need to make sure it makes sense compared to what's already available off the shelf. Right. Um, but sometimes, um, you know, proprietary methods and solutions are, are make, do make sense. My suspicion is they really only make sense for the largest corporations, right. Who have, who have the time and, and, um, money to, to throw at it because, um, they just have a unique set of problems sometimes and uh, to, to manage things and and actually a lot of the automated solutions they are they, they become kind of uh very vanilla they have one way of doing it right and so maybe actually you need a more bespoke way or um and also some of those solu- solutions off the shelf they are costly they charge a percentage of savings or something like that and if you're a giant of the world you might think you know what they're great and they are the best but at that cost I'm going to give it a go.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's a tough one. And, and like pricing and packaging, like I say, product development has nothing on pricing and packaging. As far as the difficult part of building a startup, let me, I, I, I know this for a fact. It's rough because as you said, when you actually look at like the perfect, you know, perfect solution, it's is perfect in a set of guardrails and a set of, you know, criteria, but the moment you shift that criteria, you're like, Whoa, whoa, hang on. This is an amazing tool, but it's priced on percentage of savings. You're like, I'm going to be paying so much for this tool over time that I'm not going to get or priced per, you know, managed object, but then I only get big savings in year one. So now in year two, it's less obvious the value of that product. Yeah. And so it's this weird conundrum of continuously having to revisit, are we doing the right things with the right set of tools to generate the right outcomes? And are we doing yeah, I, so I, by reducing the right set of risks?
1: Yeah. So all that evaluation needs to happen for every tool we use, right? But my, my, I go back to your, your umbrella question is that for most small companies and startups building your own tools, you gotta be really brave. You gotta really be very, strategic on that. Uh, I think it almost almost never makes sense, actually, because it's distracting from your product development. It's distracting from where your time and money really needs to go. Um, and, and then you gotta, you're building something which you then need to maintain. You're building another another baby. It's just it's a hard place to go when there's so many great things on the market that are that are there for you.
0: I mean like I love human aha moments and i'll say it because it's kind of in a way it's actually showing proof of influence in that we've guided somebody towards trying something that they really didn't believe because to get an aha moment you had to be born with disbelief that it could occur it's not an aha moment if you're like i knew this was going to happen and it happened and you're like got it that's a got it moment i call those very different like but to get the aha moment, we have to have an inherent disbelief that this product can do what I can do. And when we get to building frameworks and methods and doing that, it's fun to watch that. And I'm, I'm curious in your own sort of background, when in the discussion process, especially with the new clients, like how do you find that aha moment coming in that first dance? Yeah,
1: I, I don't really know. I think it's different for everybody. But one of the things that um, I think is interesting these aha moments for me and for other people I have talked to is I, I work in a lot of SaaS world clients, right? And I think we all understand the reason we, we do SaaS is because we believe that the cloud solution is a stronger solution, it's the better way to do things. And so when I apply that logic to the way we manage the cloud, interestingly, even though we live in the cloud world where we know the cloud does it better, we choose to to manage that cloud very manually sometimes. And to me, it just makes sense to me to have the cloud world manage that most important and expensive part of the cloud. I don't see any other solution than having the cloud manage the cloud as, as the as the obvious answer. Yeah. But sometimes it just we just think, that, no, no, I want to I want to do that myself. But but
0: why? Why isn't would it ironic that we're like better? we're adopting a tool that is born of commoditized, hundred percent automated provisioning and operations, and the first thing we think is, let's run this sucker with a spreadsheet. <laughs>
1: Isn't that, that's the world we live in. That's what we know. It's always been done, right? So it's just human. Well, I
0: always tell people the biggest, the most successful SaaS product in history is Excel. Like if, if Microsoft spun out Excel online, it would be a $3 trillion startup by itself. And it would, you know, Azure is probably would pale in comparison in revenues. Yeah. <laughs> There's way more spreadsheets running in our worlds than there are Lambda functions. <laughs>
1: yeah. but, but that fits immediately into, you know, the umbrella we, we started with, which is, you know, what is this all about? This is all about, it's, it's not just cost savings, although that is a great leader, gets people's attention. It's about time savings It's about risk reduction and and the cloud managing the cloud seems to be the only solution which does that actually otherwise we are bearing a a risk which is completely unnecessary
0: and i was i tell people this thing of like the disbelief that we can trust automation to run you know chunks of our operations and i always try to tell people like it's not going to just suddenly take over like the 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 journey, you know, the sort of adoption journey, which is always like from from zero zero on an X Y axis to one one, right? If I think of just like the straightest, where one one is like automated provisioning, automated operations, zero zero is today, right? We spun up our first cloud workload, or whatever workload, right? Like that, ideally, and the two things are are cost and time. I think are actually one axis. Because I want to measure those terribly, because time has a cost, and uh, I, the human, you know, effort being. But the other one is is really the risk reduction, right? The where it's actually opposing. It's not actually zero zero, but it's more like one zero, where like you're at the lowest point, you're the at the most risk because you're 100% manual. So the further you go out, the more reduced risk you've got that the machine will produce consistent outcomes. But then there's the trust level in letting the machine sort of do those work. But I I think that, look, I, there is a point where people would say, I don't want a key fob without a physical key, right? There is a point where you flick that little button and the key pops out and you're like, just in case, I know I can turn the ignition. Uh-huh. Do you think when someone buys a car now that they're going to go like, e- can you get me like a? I I still need the. I need the metal key. I need to be able to turn this on just in case this doesn't work. Like when you buy a Tesla, do you ever think to yourself, "Hey, can I get one of those like old insert keys just in case we don't even think about it?" In clouds, like, do you think we'll get there? Do you think we'll ever get to the point where you're like, "I, I just, I don't want to touch it."
1: (laughs) We we said this already. We're definitely headed towards automation. It's here, right? And the the question here is, you know, strategically, how do you best apply it for you, right? It's got to be strategic. It's got to be considered, right? I, I we just don't start turning on turning over the kingdom to, to tools and just wait for what happens. We we are we are still the ones in control. But 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 automation, at, you know, there's there's three or four easy wins that for everybody are just like a no brainer. There's there, there's almost nobody on planet Earth. Where those at least three or four solutions don't make absolute sense, and then everything else, well, we just gotta see where it fits for you. Right.
0: Now that's cool. Yeah, and I and I I think that's why I really dug looking at like your practice and how you develop it. It's like, look, we got a we got a set of partnered solutions. It's like we know I can just walk in an environment, I can stand this up in six hours, and we can immediately start to see benefits like having opinionated tools and having an opinionated deployments allows you to do that. Like you're never questioning what you can get. It's just a matter of like, how do I let, let's just get to the first mark of value as quickly as possible and like kind of run the playbook. And then, as you said, like, Hey, maybe down the road, a new tool fits into that, that framework. You're like, right on. I'll just plug it in. (laughs) And I think more and more tools are actually building building an understanding of humility that eh, there's no more single pane of glass, right? We went through that those that era of like, buy our tool, we can get rid of your need to buy all these other tools. I have rarely bumped into a vendor recently who says that. I'm curious on your thoughts of like, I think we all are learning that we're all in this game together and we all got to get along. Yeah.
1: yeah, And particularly in this cloud world, there is no one ring to rule them all. There's no one solution that's going to do everything. It's just, it's just not going to happen. And I think people know it's just too complicated, but in, in that complexity, I think what they're each doing is they're finding actually their, their little niche. This is a, this is a significant problem. I'm going to plug this for you. Here's the thing. I'm going to plug that for you. Um, and, and you know, you put you know five of those together, you've got five problems which were yours, which were yours yesterday, which are no longer your problems, right? You've still got everything else to manage, but but the thing is, there's just too many things to manage to not have the automated tools. Actually, you just you just need that that space. And you know, they're getting better. And you know, to your point, there there is no one thing to rule them all. And their place of humility, they, I think they are coming from a place of humility. They, they, everybody knows that they're replaceable, even automated tools. And I think what they're trying to do is make themselves actually much more palatable. You know, they, some of them offer, you know, free, no risk, um, you know, tr- reports, yeah. so, so you can see what they're all about. Because sometimes you look at their website and you try to read through what they do. It, it, I mean, you, not only do you need a PhD to understand what they're saying, but <laughs> but you have to trust that what they're saying is actually true. You you and and you know what you don't want to do is spend. You know your life researching which ones work and which ones don't work and how how it all how it all fits together because that's you've got a job, <laughs> um so that's what we do but 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 in that um they're getting better they're getting better with these, these these free reports with these free trials with these sort of samplings of what they're doing so you can sort of almost try it before you buy it right and 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 with with no with no expense up front right just just let's see how it goes.
0: Yeah, I I love, I love this because like, I think when I approach somebody who's, you know, a a systems architect, systems operator, cloud operator, whatever it's going to be, when I walk into their environments, like they care about Othello or Sunrise. Like they've got an application that they run that's like, it's this crazy wild application and it's like the heart of their business. And I want them to care really hard about that and be particularly good at how that thing goes I like that they wanna dig in on what is EC2? How can I optimize? Can I like maybe use RDS instead of our own stood up, you know, SQL servers. I love that they can evaluate those options, but I in the end, the focus of that practitioner should be, how do I make Sunrise effing amazing? And then you come in and say, well, here's like eight options based on the how Sunrise runs today. How we could help. Here's a set of tools that will help us towards that goal. And then most importantly, it's like my favorite thing is to walk into the room and just ask that operator, you know, Hey, what's the, what's the biggest problem that you face, you know, with this application and, and how you run it.
1: No, that's exactly the right way to look at it. Right. That's, you know, if you're using this thing, how do you make that work better and yes you can always evaluate whether you want to change the whole architecture that's a completely different question uh, this you know using an automated tool doesn't stop you from looking at that question also but in as much as using you know RDS or EBS or EC2 this way today let's make that thing for you right
0: yeah yeah and i i think unfortunately the industry has also always been wrapped in the need to explain a solution is viable because something else is not yet viable and this became the thing of when the cloud came along the on-premises sort of traditional vendors were always like whoa whoa, whoa whoa, you can't just give your stuff to the cloud do you trust that and they actually used trust as a negative like like do you really trust you know the cloud is just someone else's computer we always got told that right and you're like but now if anything i look as a business it's incredibly risky for me to build my own product or run my own infrastructure. It's Dark. wild how many mistakes I can make versus if I put it into AWS or, you know, one of the other hyperscalers, they've got so many tools and partner tools where I could say like, where are my risk points? Where's my data? What are my costs? All of those risk assessments can be found with either native tools or, a, you know, partner tools. Versus me, if I went and said, like, I'm going to build my own infrastructure from ground up because I only trust myself, I'm the least trustworthy human. <laughs> like I would not trust my business on my technical capabilities. And I'm pretty proud of my technical capabilities. I know I'm creating risk down the road.
1: <laughs> no, I think you're exactly right. I mean, you're a genius, I know, but we're all human. And uh, there, there's just proven ways to do things now which just take all of that risk away from us.
0: If you could tell a technologist what's the thing that they should be excited about in the coming six months, what would it be?
1: Oh, my goodness. In the coming six months. I mean, I don't know that we're going to see massive uh, technology changes in the coming six months. Um, even AI, is going quite that fast. Um and, but you know, specific to the cloud space, I would say the, the world is your oyster, right? I mean, it's um, the, the tools that we have today are probably very similar in six months' time. I don't think we're going to see any big announcements from any of the, the, the cloud providers. But, but the, the way we, we can leverage the cloud today to make it more efficient for us and open up opportunities for, um, you know, having our teams, you know, give up that grunt work. And, be, and promote themselves and their intelligence and, and, and actually contribute to the actual product developments and enhancements, There's significant there. And, the, and that doesn't take time. So it, it, what's the six months bring? You can get there in, in, in 10 days. It, it, some of those changes are really fast actually. Right. And so it, it's uh use the six months wisely.
0: That's, I think that's it. Open mind. I love that idea. Like there's, there's yeah. a lot out there. Dig into what works find a good partner and and most importantly i said just as why you know why we chatted and and why really like i said i love the tech flare approach is because it's born of frustration that was felt directly you solved a problem that you had internally you've brought that solution successfully through a set of amazing technology partners to your clients And that adjusts over time. And you've seen, you know, the benefits that your clients have seen the benefits, obviously. So that's, that's me. Like I think of as a practitioner, be excited about your options, dabble constantly, but also keep your eyes on the prize of like, what can I do with a good opinionated partner to execute quickly? Because without opinion, you get stuck in the six months down the road, we could be stuck still philosophically should we do this or should we do this? Versus like, look, this product has a button and it says optimize overnight. Let's just press the button. <laughs> uh, rather than me thinking about what does it actually mean and what's the optimal way to like, no, 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 just, just press the button and uh, maybe log in while it happens.
1: <laughs> yeah, just from a place of humility, we're still solving this and we'll still be solving this in five years time. It's going to be a changing place for all of us. And, uh, but, it's, but it's a great place to be. I mean, and you're, you're right. Now is the time to sort of be intentional about it, right? Whatever you do, just be intentional.
0: I love it. It's a good life lesson and a good business lesson. Uh, oh, there's so much more. I know we could have talked about uh, definitely AI and a lot of the inf- the influence of it. We There's things that we're going to see AI come into play. We will talk again soon because I don't want it. I didn't want that to be like five minutes of a great conversation because you can't. Or for really- another time. Yeah, it's it. So let's let's reconnect and we'll catch because the AI impact of these tools and like where it fits and where the risks are, I think is an important piece. Um, so I'll say like de-risking AI is a standalone conversation, uh, but, but it'll be cool to chat about that one. But for folks that do want to you know, get connected, Jerry, what's the best way they can do so. And of course we'll have links uh, for folks to, to find you, uh, you know, and, and, and find uh, tech flare and, and get connected. Oh, anyone who wants to find us just tech flare, www.techflare.com. And uh, definitely uh, you got some fantastic partners. I've been lucky enough to spend some time, you know, one that we, we share as well, Prosper Ops. the team there is fantastic. They're a fun bunch. I'm excited by Good. Hopefully, we've got reInvent coming up. We've got a lot of things going on while well, we'll be able to... You know, are you going to be on the ground at the event? Uh, not this time around, but hopefully next time. Well, definitely. That's good. I'll see you next year. We'll chat a lot in between. Uh, and again, yeah, for folks that want to dig in, go to techflare, T-E-C-flare, F-L-A-I-R.com, of course, and check it out. And, Jerry, thank you. It was a real pleasure. I knew we'd have no problem filling time. The worst problem is going to be having to say goodbye because, uh, alas... The day continues, uh, but we'll chat again soon. And uh, thanks very much for the chat.
1: Thank you, Eric. Look forward to the next time.